I appreciate the little support note I got, and I have a suspect where it's from, and I appreciate you guys for the little note of encouragement. Greg gave me a little book. It's been a, quite the gift day for me, so I appreciate all you guys. Uh, uh, we're in uh, John chapter 3 today, a chapter that we're all very well acquainted with. And uh, you got notes, Gene? John chapter 3. Give one to Diane. Thank you. Let's read. We're probably going to get through the first ten verses, luckily. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, I've got a couple of phrases I want us to remember because we're going to be looking at these characters throughout the rest of the book of John. I want you to know who they are. And uh, so we won't have to reiterate who they are as we get to them. But uh, let's look at John chapter 3. I'm going to... uh, Let's just look at the first 21 verses. This is going to be one section. We'll probably get through verse 10 today, and then we'll finish the next section, and then uh, and then we'll we'll pursue these things. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher, come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do you not know these things? Most assuredly, I say unto you, you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him should not believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him isn't condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he's not received, believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth and comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. First of all, first thing I want us to see is there's a couple of terms here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these terms, but they're in your notes. Pretty self-explanatory. There's going to be several groups of people that Jesus is going to encounter. 
And uh, the one group that he's going to encounter is the Pharisees. He's going to encounter the Pharisees. He's going to encounter the Sadducees. And he's going to encounter the Sanhedrin. And he is going to uh, be... Uh, when he deals with the Sanhedrin, that of course, that's going to include a group of people that we'll get into. But the word Pharisee means separated ones. Pharisees were businessmen. There were 6,000 of them. During Jesus' ministry, they were not uh, elite, but they were middle class, uh, very pious, very, very, uh, very much Judaizers. They were very externally uh, committed to the law. And th- what the, the problem with them was because they added to the law, they added hundreds of additions to the law that was not in the law, specifically uh, rules that dealt with the Sabbath and dealt with external behavior, it dealt with the washings. They were more concerned about the outside, what the outside looked like, and they were not concerned with what the inside looked at. And Jesus, as He did, always got to the heart of men. He was concerned what's on the inside because the inside reflects what really goes on the outside. And you can paint a tomb white, but inside the tomb are dead men's bones. And Jesus was most critical of this sect of people, the Pharisees, because the Pharisees led the people astray. The people, the lower class, didn't have Scripture, didn't have Bibles. Uh, when we, They went to the synagogues and they were led astray by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And the, the religious leaders put their thumb and oppressed the people. And they squelched the work of God's Word in their lives because of their laws and their hypocrisies. And Jesus hated that about the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees were a group, uh, they believed in supernatural as opposed to the Sadducees. They did not believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were very uh, non-supportive of Jesus' miracles and very critical and cynical of them, As whereas the Pharisees, they at least appreciated supernatural miracles. They believed that uh, that to, for God to for Jesus to be able to perform miracles, he had they had to be from God. So they were uh, a little different from the Sadducees. They at least acknowledged the supernatural, and Jesus condemned them. And if you if you have time today for your reading pleasure, read Matthew 23, uh, a bunch of verses regarding the hypocrisy and Jews' critical nature toward them, and he called them. Uh, called him various things, hypocrites, and he hated their work and he hated their effect on the people. And so Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means he is a leader within the Pharisaical movement, and he is not only that, but he is a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin... I ought to look at my notes before I try to write these words. S-A-N-N-E-D-R-I-N. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish Supreme Court. And there are 71 of these guys in the Sanhedrin. And they are the religious leaders. Their president is the, is the high priest. And then the, the group is, 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 is composed of elders and scribes. And these religious leaders, and they are the ones who, who, uh, 
take the pharisaical laws, the ones they've added, and they suppress the people with them. They're very legalistic in what they do. I mean, you can't walk X number of steps on the Sabbath day. You can't do this. You can't do that. And they were concerned with the external. And Nicodemus is one of these members of the Sanhedrin. He's, matter of fact, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel, and he calls him a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus is in high places, very knowledgeable. He's considered by many uh, commentary guys that I have read after one of the elite uh, teachers in the nation of Israel at this time. And so this is going to be the story we pick up. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, and he is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a teacher. And uh, we see God's Spirit begin to work in him, and we see him progress. He, he's asking these questions. He don't understand Jesus. He doesn't understand Jesus' teaching because God's Spirit has not enlightened him yet so that he can. He's dead. But we see him progress So we see, look at him in John chapter 7, as we see him progressing, he stands apart from his cohorts and other pharisaical leaders, at least he's going to be open-minded, and he is going to have a, a glimmer of God's Spirit working in him as we see him here as God moves him along. Look at chapter 7, verse 45, this is the priest and the chief priest, the Sanhedrin, uh, then the officers came to the, verse 745 of John, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to him, Why have you not brought him? The officers said, No man has ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered him, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd doesn't know that the law is accursed. Nicodemus, whom we're talking about, who came to Jesus by night, who we'll talk about in a, about in a minute, said to them, does our law judge a man before he hears him and knows what he's doing? So Nicodemus, God's working in him. He's open at least. He wants to hear more of God's Word. That's the work of the Spirit. And he is at least non-critical as far as this goes. And he's opened. And then he's ridiculed first because the other Pharisee says, are you also from Galilee? No prophet has ever written out of Gal- have come from Galilee, so he's already receiving a little grief from his fellow brethren. And then we see God continuing to work in him and giving him boldness. And, and looking in John chapter 19, Jesus is taken down from the cross by these two fellows. And this is 1938 of John. Uh, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, same guy who was at first came to Jesus by night, also brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds, and they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews was, and then they laid him in a tomb. So we see Nicodemus' evolution a bit, perhaps. Uh, We cannot say for certain whether or not he ever came to the Lord, but we see evidence, at least, that he is... uh, uh, That's all I can say because it's speculation. I don't know of anyone who knows for sure. Only God does. But that's the background of Nicodemus. And now as we get into this story, let's look at it. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is this concept. The word is not mentioned in the chapter... 
regeneration. Yes. But it is what the whole book chapter is about. Remember, as we look at this book, that the, the primary purpose of this book is these things are written that you may know Jesus Christ and have eternal life through His name. And some of the themes is that Jesus is divine and that He is deity, He is God, and that through understanding that and through believing in that, you may have life. And so this book is very evangelistic, as we've been saying for the past five lessons. And there's much theology in this book. And so this chapter is going to give us the theology of what regeneration is. Boy, I tell you. What regeneration is. What is the definition for regeneration? And all of these, all of this theology points to this that you may know who Christ is. Regeneration. What does the word mean without looking at your notes? And we're going to look at this. There's, I got a bunch of verses that I didn't put on your notes that I'm going to give you. Uh, I still think this looks like it needs to be a E. I did not hear you. I cannot hear and I cannot. I have zero depth perception up here. Regeneration. What does this this word mean? Life. Genesis, the beginning of life. The, The prefix re means to be returned or brought back. So regeneration in the spiritual means to be brought back to life. Why do we need to be brought back to life? Because we're dead. Are we partially dead? As Doc would say, do we have a pulse? We have no pulse. We're not, we're not uh, on the above the water. We're not, uh, we're not dog paddling. We're not drowning. We're not looking for a life raft. We are dead. We're at the bottom of the sea. That's what regeneration, that's the way we are, were. Dead spiritually. We're not on life preserver. We're not uh, just not quite as good as we could be. We are dead. I think to understand this word, you have to understand your condition prior to this. A lot of Christian people, do not understand this concept of spiritual death. And so therefore they are very weak on salvation. And they're confused on salvation. And they think misguidingly, not that they're not believers, but they misguidingly think that they are partially responsible for their salvation. They think that they're that salvation is, 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 is dependent upon them making a conscious decision for Christ. That they're seeking God. But the Scriptures tell us there's none who seek God. And so when I talk to these folks, and most Christians are in this category. Most Christians are in this category. They are... They look at me very strangely and they do not understand and they want to get into an arguing match because when they are in this condition, they're going to argue about their wills. And they're going to argue about 
their freedom of choice. And they're going to argue about all these things. And they're going to tell me they're not a robot. And they're going to tell me this, that, and that. But it's because they don't understand depravity and inability. Okay? And if you've had conversations with these folks, God bless them, it's because they don't understand the spiritual condition of their souls. And so therefore they don't understand this as they should. Some of you are nodding your heads. Some of you, I'm not looking at you, but some of you may be going, I don't know what you're talking about. But we will, as we look at the book of John, if you are weak on this, you won't be weak on this after the book of John. Right, Dwayne? You can't possibly not... Un- well, you can. But <clears throat> the book of John's theology is so sharp and so exact on the depravity and inability of a will, and it focuses upon the work of Christ and the Spirit, and that's going to help you, hopefully, if you're weak on your condition. Yes, ma'am? Do you happen to have a darker color pen? You are first time in here. You will never be able to understand or read my writing, and it doesn't matter if it's black or green. That's why I gave you notes. That's why I'm on the very trip. Bless your dear heart. I sympathize with you, but I cannot help you. This is not going to get any better. Does it? Does this help? Does that help? And everybody laughs with me and at me. Was you going to say something, Brother Gene? Yes. Well, Don, just for clarification, if you were talking to a person who absolutely believes that, that they had a part in their salvation, can you call them a Christian? Well, yes, because... Because... Have you ever heard of the uh, the Wesley brothers? John and Charles, born of the same mother. John is the founder of Methodism, of being a Methodist. Charles, they had adamant and opposed each other in their theology. John lines up. On the Arminian camp, Charles is a Calvinist, differing on many things regarding sovereignty of God, human responsibility. Both of them. Spurgeon said, when I stand before God and I'm going to be in line, and if I'm John there, he had great respect for John Wesley, Spurgeon, who was a Calvinists. So are there Christ people who believe wrongly about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well-minded people. Godly people who simply are... Uh, what word would I use? Simply are not quite clear on the total depravity and are confused about this 
freedom of will and that type of thing. And we'll talk about this when I get into chapter 8 and chapter 10 and why you can believe and why you can't believe. We're going to talk about that big time. Don, yes. When I was there, works was a major part of my belief system also. Works. If you really boil it down to it, if you believe that you've had something to do with salvation, you believe that work is a part of your salvation, which is not true. If you really boil it down to it, I remember as a young person, my views have been shaped by many things, most particularly my own wicked life, okay? prior to Christ saving me. But my my uh, I can remember the nightmarish conversations my dad who is here and my uncle and grandpa who were here and the vicious, hateful conversations that they had over the years. And that boy, it makes me messed up as I am because of all these conversations. But this was always at the center of it. Man's role and God's role. We're going to talk about this, and we're never going to get here, but there is a sovereignty of God. Can I just say something in response to what... And there is... A, yes, just a second. <laughs> and the and human responsibility. These lines may never cross. These lines have been dividing God's people for 2,000 years or more. Right? But we never say, just because you on this, you are not a believer, and so we never go there. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead, my wife. I will just say, most people that are brought up, like I was in a church, I knew nothing about Calvinism. I knew nothing about any of that. If you had asked me, I would not have said I had anything to do with my salvation. So I think that the, the differing... What men what make... Okay. So I think that's where a lot of people land. They, they respond to the call, but they don't really understand. They couldn't have responded had God not enabled them. You asked Terry. I've had these conversations. As you notice, Terry over the last five years is moving right. He's moving more and more and more toward the doctrines of grace and sovereignty. And you see that in his preaching. I've had conversations with Terry. And Terry has struggled with one concept, and we'll get into it in chapter 6, 8, and 10. Particular redemption, and we'll talk about all that good stuff. And it is mind-boggling, it is confusing, but it all deals with this. And it is a progress. But once you get to the to that there is an amazing camaraderie of brotherhood when you understand God's sovereignty and salvation. And you giggle and you smile and you worship because you understand it's by the grace of God go I. There's nothing I could have done, ever would have wanted to do, but He changed me. He changed my mind. He changed my will. He changed my disposition. Everything. And when you get there, 
and you realize that it's not because I had faith and because I did this or I did that. And He don't drag you kicking and screaming, but He changes you and you willfully, voluntarily go. Okay? We're going to get into that. Some of you are responding well. Some of you are incredulous. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about, but this is going to be all part of this whole process. Thank you for the question. Very appropriate. We're good. Yes, mate. Yes, you. Amen. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You do not. Absolutely right. Well, I think we confuse things. I think election is true. But I also think that the will God says everywhere choose this day. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I say both are true. Both are true. But we are created beings. We are not God. They can both be true. And we cannot compromise them in our minds. And we will emphasize one because we belong to this group. Or we will emphasize one because we belong to this other group. But we need to stop and say, God is God Almighty. He sets the parameters of life, death, and everything. He's the creator God and we're his creatures. But he said, choose all through the Old Testament. He says, choose. You know, you can choose. That's right. But he also says, I am God, you can't do anything, you know, without me. So the great the great about condemning somebody absolutely. who says, I believe in free will, that man has a free will to choose. Right. There are a lot of people that gonna condemn people for saying that. That's right. Well, you know, let's be careful. That's right. No label. Yes, there are godly people. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, everything to what you said. Beautiful. When you get to this side, when you're on this side, you can become arrogant and haughty and horrible. Horrible. And you can become cerebral and you can be dead as that piece of wood there. I've seen it. Not today, but yes, I can. I can give you a whole... Study sheet with page after page. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. I had a job. The Spurgeon. Spurgeon wrote in his one of his sermons that if if he was the Lord was calling his apostles in that day and time, John Wesley would probably be one of them. Yes. He, that he, he respected him that much. Yes. Yes, he did. So to answer Gene's question, absolutely there are sincere, godly people who are on this side. And on this side, it's been going on for 2,000 years. And we're all going to stand in glory with him in Christ. And then there's one arrogant Calvinist said, And then we will finally come to the realization that we were right the whole time. <laughs> it's sad. And it's a division of the devil, and it should never be a label, and it should never be us and them. It's us and it's Christ, right? So I just want to make sure we all know that. Appreciate y'all's input. All of us were destined for 
for separation from the Father yes. without whether, whatever side of the fence you're on. That's right. Our church has probably got both. I know has both. Because we have folks that are from uh, their Church of Christ. We have church people that are Methodists. We have people that have been Catholics. So that's a beautiful thing. We're all learning and coming to the truth, right? And if our pastor evolves a certain way, Keith's already been there, and there are many. uh, And so it's amazing, amalgamation. It's a beautiful thing. It's like a blimpy sandwich, as they say. Regeneration. So we're going to look at this. And so none of you, we never get to where we're supposed to be. Look at regeneration. I'm just going to read you this. Regeneration is being being brought back to life. It's an act of God alone, and it's a gift of God's grace. I'm going to get you these verses in a second. There is no preparation, no preceding disposition in a sinner that requests or contributes to the new life that God gives. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to... to the, the, the man's heart does not have... What was you going to say? I'm just going to ask when you say bringing back to life, are you talking about re? Doing the old, or are we talking about a totally new act of God? It's an act of God. Okay. I know you're trying to trap me there, Sally. <laughs> I can see that grin. No, we're not remaking the old. We're creating new. Okay, but the words that came out were Seemed like bringing that. back to life. If you're saying bringing back to life, you're talking about redoing the old I'm talking, I mean a new life, a new nature. New, 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 new. Born again from above. Different. Not of the flesh. If if what I meant was, if Sally's saying what I meant, that would mean we're trying to redo flesh. And flesh is flesh. Flesh begets flesh. That's right. A new you. No perfume on a dead man, right? Still stinks. New. New life. So this regenerative work of the Spirit, there is nothing that is, uh, there's not a prerequisite that we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to do that, we've got to do this, and then the Holy Spirit says, okay, they're on my team. No, 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 no. It is a dead man. Spirit works in your heart and begins this process of making you alive and new, Right? And then we see it is an immediate, it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I get a, some well-meaning people, they talk about when you're reborn, you have a spiritual birthday, and you know your spiritual birthday. Some, when, uh, some of us who were, uh, let me sometimes you may not know the exact moment and then you're born again. Some of us, not all of us are like Paul on the road to kill the disciples of Jesus, and a light shines down from heaven, and God speaks to them, Paul, why are you kicking against the pricks? And speaks to us in an audible voice and changes a life immediately. Some of us go through process, 
And some of us go through years where we don't know. And if we're born as a young person, you, you know, you don't know. Some people were at seven years old. I, I walked down the aisle. I was excited. I was telling people about the Lord. And then, and then that happened. And then, and then at 23 again. So we don't know. But we know that from Scripture that God has a people and God is going to save those people. And the when and the hows, sometimes we don't know when the wind blows, right? So, so some of us can say, I know from February the 1st, 1970, I was saved. And I know that some of us, it's more ambiguous, right? Agree, well, no agree. Pardon me? When you're adopted, you may not know. So, so when, how, you may not know the exact day. There may not be a differential day that says, boom, from that day forward. Right? Can you all agree with that? That's true. So, it is immediate. It's a supernatural. God puts us in Christ. But the actual tangibles may be years in the making. Many of us were unidentifiable as God's people for years. I mean, I would never be accused of being a believer from 16 to 23. Matter of fact, I would have been a hater, and I could not have been no evidence that I was one of God's. And those, many of you agree with that and have been there, right? The fruit of regeneration is faith. Regeneration precedes faith. And that is going to be a conflict with some of this thought here. And we're going to get into this in a minute. Regeneration produces faith. Faith does not produce regeneration. Regeneration, the work of the Spirit, produces faith. Faith is the secondary cause of salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Okay? And so regeneration's fruit is faith. It's a gift of God. That may confuse you, but that is the truth. And if you believe that you have something to do with it, you're going to think, well, my faith saved me. Well, in, in a way, it, it did. And your belief, you have to believe and you have to have faith. But your ability to believe came first from God. Okay, so we'll talk about all these things as we get into this. But this is sort of a warm-up. Now look at verses. These are We know these verses. And the, uh, the verse that tells us that we were spiritually dead, of course, is, uh, is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's in many different places. I'm going to write these down, and then I want us to look at them. And this is a warm-up, and we're not even going to get warmed up because look what time it is. Y'all are distracting. Chapter 2, 13, and 14. These are life verses. I want you to write them down. If you want to memorize them, I think that would be beneficial to us all. And I hope you can read my writing.
We can all breathe easy. It's all good. First John. Two, three. See, there we go. Three, nine. Yes, uh-huh. I bet you know that verse, don't you? The washing of water and regeneration, yes. And then chapter 5, 1, 14. Y'all talk amongst yourself if you need to tell, read my hieroglyphics. Ask questions. Now I've, I've, I've uh, abated uh, Val's view here. It'll all be here when I get finished. It'll be okay. Forty-four, sixty-three, eight, forty-three, and then we've got Philippians one six, <laughs> Ephesians two one through ten, Second Thessalonians two thirteen and fourteen, Second Corinthians five seventeen and eighteen, Titus three five, First Peter one three through five two nine through ten. 1 John 3, 9, 4, 7, 10, and 19, 5, 1, 4, and 18. See, no problem. Romans 3, 10 through 18, 5, 6 through 8, Galatians 5, 22, John 1, 13, 6, 29, 44, and 63, and 8, 43, Philippians 1, 6, and 2, 13. Verses are going to help us with this concept of new, new natures, new people. No longer fleshy, but born of the Spirit, not of the earth. Regeneration. Is regeneration only used twice in the New Testament? It's in 3.5. And in Titus 3.5. And also in Matthew, it's used of the regeneration, talking about the recreation of the earth. Yes, it's not in there many times. Gene, can you see that? I see you squinting with your eyeballs. Anybody have any questions where these verses are? Is that Romans 3, 3 5, 5, 6 through 8? Yes. Where? Where? First John 4, 3. First John. First John 3. Three nine four seven ten and nineteen. You're gonna give me a complex. <laughs> Ephesians, Ephesians two. While you're still writing these things down, the one of the most blessed scriptures in Scripture. If you do not understand what you were before salvation of your souls, let's make this very clear. And you. He made alive who were dead. Not on life support, not, not, uh, sort of dead. You haven't fallen, cough a mountain and you're sort of halfway down, but you are at the bottom. You're dead. You're under the water. You're drowned. You're dead. You have no ability to respond to Christ. 
You are dead to Him. You have not been reconciled. You have no abilities to call on His name. You do not seek Him. You are dead. You love the darkness. You love sin. And you hate Him. And you hate His teaching. That's where we all were. Dead in trespasses and sin. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedient, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as others. I will extrapolate here for a second. We do, we are free moral agents. We are not puppets. We make our own choices. Yes, we do. Our choices are bound by our wills. We will do what our nature lead, tells us to do. Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and his works you will do. So because you are a father of the devil, you're a child of the devil, and your nature, uh, you are bound by who you are. You're a sinner dead. And you will do what your nature tells you to do. So you're, so you are not, you do not have a free will in regards to, your will is bound by your nature. Everybody understand that? You have freedom of choice, but you are bound by who you are. A leper can't change his spots. We're born that way. We're born that way. And we we act according to how we are. Everybody understand that? A leper can't change his spots. We can't change who we are. God has to do it. God has to do it. Any questions about that thought? We're dead in trespass. We're children of wrath. And it's by our very nature to do... What we do, that's a bold statement. God said to the Jews, to those who were listening, Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and his will you will do. Wow. What do you think they thought when he said that? Ye are of your father the devil, and his will you will do. You can't believe until this happens. And we'll talk about that. Everybody didn't fall into the, what they call the deep, dark sins, I guess. But I think mine was the biggest of all. Because I, I was a Pharisee. I was playing the role in, in, of leading Christians and Christian young people. And I was lost as a goose, you know. <laughs> and God got a hold of me and he said, you're going to stop this, hell. Was Can I ask you a person, was there some arrogance to you? <laughs> Everybody I dealt with in, the, in my work, I had as many as 1,500 people report to me. And every one of them knew exactly where I stood in Christ. And I made a point of that. Every place I worked, people I bought from and everything else, they knew. And the people I sold to, 
knew who I served. And, uh, and no, no big deal about it. I just want I, I say, you have the right to confront me when you don't see my attitude and my actions. But you were a believer then, but you have been... God is moving you toward no, humility. I was a believer after he got a hold of me. Okay, right. I was not a believer. I was a Pharisee. Okay. I was arrogant. These conversations that I told you from my childhood that have scarred me to this very day, I remember my uncle. He would always say, you can be perfect. And my dad would say, well, why don't you do it then? And he... He was, he was externally driven, and he was, I can be perfect. And it was a, oh boy. But there was an arrogance to him. And I'm glad you said that. Good. Where are we? Have we got through this verse yet? You have the next two words that are the best in the Bible. But God. I agree with that, Carol. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. Right? By grace you've been saved. He's raised us up together. He's made us sit. He's made, look at all these things He's done. He's made us sit together. Okay? Then the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us. And we all know 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. It's not of work like... like uh, uh, Dwayne was talking about, or we could boast about it. If you believe that you come to Christ because of your faith, you are boasting in what you did. For we are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God has already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's all about Him. When I came to the point of knowing for sure that there was something wrong, when I tried to tell others how to be saved, isn't it amazing? It is. You resemble me in a lot of ways. I used to I used to lead people to the Lord in a drunken state in bars. I thought. It's amazing. It's amazing how God works in our hearts. Let's look at this second Thessalonians. It's not just about the end times. There is some profound theology in here. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter two, thirteen and fourteen. The work of the regenerative work of God in our lives. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through setting apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. His initiative, He regenerates a man with a spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. We all know what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says. We all do. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 5. And maybe we don't know. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's new creation. Old things have passed. And that in the, in the Greek is, it is old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. Still a process, work of the sanctification, sanctification, the sanctification, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. There we go. Mm. 
Behold, all things have become new. Look at that, 18. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And because he's done that, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. God is begging through us for men to come to Christ. We are ministers, and we are the... That's why we tell people. We know what this verse says, Titus 3, 5. We're going to get into that again uh, when we get into the washing of water in the Word. But uh, Titus, Titus 3, 5. Does anybody know what that verse says? He saved us, not on the basis of deed. Kindness and the love of God toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy... He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He poured out on us abundantly through our Savior that had been justified by His grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 1 Peter 1, great verses. Chew on these verses. 1 Peter 1. 3 through 5. It says, and I quote, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. That's not what I meant to write. 1, 3 through 5. That's not right. Where should it be? Where am I? Why did I write that down wrong? Oh, it's a process. No. Where is it? It's not second. Goodness gracious! Uh, first, I'm gonna find it before I stick. First Peter. So I'm right. Oh, I'm looking at three. Duh. Thank you. Thank you. Look what He does. He reserves our name. He keeps us by His power. He's begotten us to a lively hope. He's done it. Okay? So that is a good verse. 2, 9 through 10. But ye are chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, His own special people. Next time you get into a funk of mood and spirit, read that verse. Your chosen, royal, special, that you may proclaim the praises of Him. We getting down because we're not proclaiming the praises of Him. We are having our pity parties. We are called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once we're not a people, but we now are the people of God who have not obtained mercy, but now we have. Okay? The regenerative work of the Spirit. Everybody understand that. Comments, questions, 1 John. The Apostle John who wrote this and wrote the, the uh, epistle, uh, the book of John, we see this in many verses. 3.9, we see this. Whoever has been born of God, regenerative work of the Spirit, doesn't sin. His lifestyle is not characterized by his habitual, persistent lifestyle of sin. He doesn't sin for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because we're new. God will 
bring us to repentance and He will bring us through chastening, through trials, but He will bring us back to Himself. He will find us lost, straying sheep. And with His rod, He will bring us back to Himself. He will find the lost coin, right? 1 John 3, 9. Look at 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, regenerated by the Spirit, and knows God. That's why you got to be born. He does not know, love, does not know God, for God is love. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the wrath absorber of our sins. And then we've got uh, 19. We love Him because He first loved us. His initiative, His work. And then chapter 5, verse 1. He who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We believe, yes, we have to believe, yes, that is our human responsibility. But you believe, not just intellectually, but you believe and you trust and you obey because of God's work in you. And that is evidence that you're born of God by your obedience, right? And your trust. We understand. So we see these verses. Uh, time, I'm going to let you look at these other verses. Philippians 1.6, He's began a good work in us. We'll finish it. Praise the Lord for that. He holds on to us. We don't hold on to Him. And He gives us the desire and the will and the ability to do His good pleasure. 2.13 He gives us the ability and the will to do. Okay? Verses understanding what Jesus said, you must be born again. Does everybody understand that? We can't go on for John, with John unless you understand this concept. Anybody unclear about it? <coughs> if you are unclear about it and you do not want to ask it in public, ask me. I will tell you, I will help you. Regeneration is God's work, born from above, new, new, new. Everybody understand that? Everybody understand that? Now, let's look at this terrible. There's a man born of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He's, we talked about who he is. Why did he come by night? Several theology, the, several people. He came by night. Why? Didn't want to be seen. Fearful. He was in the world. He loved his position. He was a leader. He didn't want to jeopardize that, perhaps. I think that is the primary meaning of that. Pharisees were not supposed to waste their time with things that weren't spiritual and their external work as they are working their salvation by themselves. Another one is that the night represents the darkness of the soul. And so theologians say he came by night. That represented who he was, dead in his trespasses and sin. There are many verses throughout John that tell us about night. The specific one, when, remember when Judas betrayed Jesus? And it was night. So I don't think it's incorrect to say that's another part of it. I think the primary is he was afraid and he loved the applause of men rather than God, right? So he came by night. But he was curious, I think, because of God's work beginning in him. But he came by night 
And, uh, and so you can say that there is a symbolism of darkness there if you'd like. Probably not the primary. But uh, uh, and this, uh, look what he says. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He saw intellectually there's something going on here. How can you explain what he's done? How can you explain the authority from which he teaches? And he's only done a couple of things. He's only changed the water into wine, and he's cleansed the temple. But Nicodemus saw something that was different about him, his authority and his power, and he saw that. And he says, who are you? He didn't yet understand who he was. He understood he was a teacher. He understood he was in the presence of greatness, perhaps. But he didn't understand that Jesus is God. Yet. Yet. Maybe he does. Okay. 12.15. <coughs> I didn't get very far. We're going to finish through 20. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we'll, we'll, pro- we'll progress in this. Thank you for your support and your, uh, and your comments about this. Uh, if you are confused, uh, we won't be by the end of the book, I hope. Anybody comments or questions? Thank you for your correction and some of your comments, folks. Thank you for your uh, especially uh, willingness to confess your faults and where God has brought you from. That's a good evidence, and I thank you for all that. Let's pray. Thank you for work of your work in our hearts. Thank you that you've called us. Thank you that you foreknew us, that you predestined us, that you called us with an irresistible call as a summons from a king, that you declare us righteous because of the work of Christ. And one day, the work will be finished. Our bodies will be glorified. We'll no longer have a struggle with sin. And we will have be perfect forever with you understanding the grace that's in Christ Jesus for eternity, we're going to be learning that. We're going to have the capacity to actually understand it. We're not going to see through a glass darkly anymore, but we're going to know as we're known. It's an amazing truth. Help us to have great hope. May that hope purify us. May we be vigilant. May you finish your work in us, and we know that you will. Help us to be patient with you and with ourselves as you work in us. Help us to cooperate with your grace by being faithful, by not yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but we thank you that you are going to finish what you started in each one of us and that your spirit guarantees that. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.